This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where we say goodbye to State Representative Kristen Jacobs of Coconut Creek, who died of cancer Saturday after a three-year battle. She was a force for good in Broward County politics over the past 20 years, and we sat down in the studio about a month ago to talk about life, the universe, and everything. What was surprising during the interview was her hope for the future, despite the political divisions that have ripped this country apart. The casualties continue to climb in Florida in the fight against coronavirus. We've got almost 20,000 confirmed cases and 42 more Floridians died from COVID-19 over the weekend. The governor says we're testing more people than ever, but it's still less than 1% of the total state population, which makes it hard to get a fix on just how bad the problem really is. Ron DeSantis is hoping we'll hit the 1% mark later this week. Florida's nursing homes and adult living facilities are asking the governor to issue an executive order granting them immunity from lawsuits for any deaths that occur because of coronavirus. DeSantis has already done them a solid by refusing to release the names of homes that have COVID-19 cases. And when the Miami Herald threatened to sue under the public records law, the governor's lawyer convinced the Herald's law firm to back off. They had to hire a new lawyer. The governor has extended his executive order prohibiting short-term vacation rentals until the end of the month. He's trying to keep people from fleeing to Florida to escape local stay-at-home orders where they live. We'll also have your calendar of political events and check in with a Florida man who really seems to hate Italians. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, April 13th. It's a new week, but the same old story in Florida. The latest update from the health department shows almost 20,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus, and the number of fatalities is 461. But we still don't know how bad the problem really is because Governor Ron DeSantis says we've only tested a fraction of the state population. Florida has now received test results uh, from over 173,000 individuals. Uh, so that's a ratio of about one in every 125 Floridians. Uh, once we hit uh, 215,000 tests, which we think we will uh, later this week, uh, that'll be one test result for every 100 Floridians. And uh, that is a pretty good ratio. South Korea was viewed as leading the way on testing, and they had reached one of every 200 individuals. So we're going to continue those efforts. Yesterday, we announced that the three federal sites, Jacksonville, Orange County Convention Center, and Hard Rock Stadium in Miami-Dade, would continue in operation for drive-through testing. The feds had agreed to source it through yesterday. Uh, we believe it's important to keep it going. We, all, we are going to continue to receive support from the federal government, which we appreciate. But what we're doing differently is instead of capping how many people could go through because they were only doing 250 a day in Orlando, for example, because of the federal testing contract. We're using Florida's relationship with, with Quest and with LabCorp. Uh, we're going to expand the number of people who can go through, uh, but also the criteria of people who, have gonna, who can go through. Uh, we've typically focused on people that have coronavirus symptoms and who are 65 and older. Obviously, they're the highest risk group from this, so that makes sense. And then we would focus on first responders and healthcare workers. Uh, we are still obviously doing the first responders and the healthcare workers, any 65 and older with symptoms, of course, uh, but we're expanding it beyond that so that if anyone out there has the coronavirus symptoms, uh, things like a fever, a cough, um, shortness of breath, aches, uh, you can come and get tested in these three drive-through sites. Uh, we think that that's important because we're trying to figure out how this is being spread by people who don't necessarily are at risk of, of being hospitalized for it. So, so that's going to be good. We're also going to go beyond that of just with people with symptoms and say if you're somebody 
even if you're not experiencing symptoms, but you've had close sustained contact with somebody who has recently tested positive for coronavirus, you can then come through um, and get tested as well. There's a whole debate about who is an asymptomatic carrier, how those individuals may uh, be spreading uh, the disease. And so we think that having folks who've had close, repeated contact with someone who's tested positive, even if they've not developed any major symptoms, uh, that giving them the opportunity to get tested makes sense. While the number of confirmed COVID-19 infections at nursing homes and assisted living facilities skyrocketed during the past week, state health officials will not say whether there is community spread of the disease in long-term care facilities. However, the governor says they are stepping up testing. We have the National Guard and some of these strike teams doing the spot checking and surveillance testing at nursing homes. So the Guard has tested a number of folks down in South Florida affiliated with nursing homes. Our partnership with UF Shands uh, involves doing some spot testing in these facilities, both with staff and with residents. We want to continue to do that given that's the most high-risk population. And so I really appreciate the Guard getting that going. I appreciate um, you know UF Shands getting it going as well. I think that that's going to be really, really important. The Department of Health is still refusing to disclose the names of nursing homes and adult living facilities that have residents or staff who've tested positive. The Miami Herald filed a public records request for that information, and when it was rejected, their lawyer prepared for a lawsuit. But the Herald's law firm, Holland and Knight, also does a lot of work for the governor's office. And DeSantis' general counsel convinced the powers that be at Holland and Knight not to file the lawsuit on behalf of the Herald. That did not stop the newspaper, but they did have to find a new attorney. Meantime, the trade group that represents those homes is asking the governor to immunize them from lawsuits. The Florida Healthcare Association sent a letter to the governor asking that he provide immunity from any civil or criminal liability for any harm or damages alleged to have been sustained as a result of an active omission in the course of arranging for or providing emergency health care services during the COVID crisis. The governor has extended a statewide ban on vacation rental reservations through the end of April. His previous executive order was set to expire Friday before the governor issued the extension through April 30th. DeSantis issued that order to prevent people from out of state fleeing local lockdowns to vacation in Florida. The governor has also ordered that people traveling from New York City and New Orleans and the surrounding areas to self-isolate for 14 days upon entering the state, which he says has reduced the number of plane trips from the New York area. We've screened 17,638 travelers by both air and car from high-risk areas like New York City and New Orleans. I want to thank everyone that's been involved with that. And in terms of the the hospitals and the hospitalizations, uh, we're looking at statewide uh, 43% availability throughout the state of Florida, Miami-Dade 42%, Broward 41%, Palm Beach 46%, Hillsboro 38, Orange 43, and Duval uh, 43. Uh, If you look at how this is affecting Florida, we have about 60% of the cases uh, are in the three southeastern Florida counties, Palm Beach, Broward, Miami-Dade. More than 60% of the hospitalizations are in those three counties uh, as well. And so if you're looking at, it's, it's, it's not a, a uniform picture throughout the state of Florida. You know, we were just in Jacksonville yesterday with the testing center. Uh, I think that, that, that their numbers have looked very stable, uh, very low positive test rate, even with people with symptoms. Uh, and then obviously, you know, Miami, Broward, and Palm Beach, they have the most, uh, the most positive tests, the most hospitalizations, and unfortunately, the most fatalities. 
So we're going to continue to, to do, but I think a lot of people are doing a lot of great things throughout the state of Florida. So we just ask that people keep, keep doing what they're doing and uh, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's beat this thing uh, as best we can. But I'm, I'm really, I really, it's been tough for people and I really appreciate uh, all people have pitched in, have done their, done their part, and I think it's really making a difference. The governor has also issued a series of emergency orders in hopes of cleaning up the backlog at the state unemployment office, which has been unable to cope with a flood of filings from Floridians laid off during the pandemic. U.S. Representative Stephanie Murphy of Winter Park wants the federal agency that oversees jobless benefits to audit Florida's system. She wrote to the inspector general of the U.S. Department of Labor Friday asking for an investigation. Speaking of unemployment, more than 40,000 unionized Disney World workers will be furloughed starting Sunday. About 200 union workers who are deemed essential will remain on the job. The Service Trades Council Union says Disney did agree to provide free health care benefits for a year and will keep paying for a program that gives workers a free education. Last week, the governor and the state education commissioner held a roundtable. Talk about how schools are responding to coronavirus. And the governor was asked if kids would be going back to school in May. DeSantis says that decision has not been made yet. But Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, says that would not be a good idea. If you have a situation in which you don't have a real good control over an outbreak and you allow children to gather together, they likely will get infected. And if they get infected, the likelihood that they will bring the infection home. So that really is a risk. I don't know the situation at all in any detail. And I'm not specifically speaking about Florida. I'm just speaking generically about what happens when you have infections in the community and you have a congregation of people, such as in classrooms, that that's a risk. Dr. Fauci was speaking at a White House briefing on COVID-19. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we remember State Representative Kristen Jacobs by listening to her plea for civility in the political process. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is State Representative Kristen Jacobs of Broward County, who died this past weekend after a long and difficult fight with cancer. She never let the disease stop her from doing her job in the legislature, and in fact spent much of the 2020 session working from a hospital bed. Jacobs was a champion of the environment, was active on global warming at a time when most Florida politicians were still in denial. She joined us in the studio last month for what turned out to be her last in-depth interview to talk about why the system is so far out of balance and what she thinks we can do to bring civility back to Florida politics. Somehow it's gotten to be a very utopian view about how the world used to be. I don't I don't subscribe to to that, but I do think that more moderates pulled together to make decisions um, are more are going to be more successful in solving the big problems this country faces. Climate change is one of the largest destabilizing factors that this country is ever going to face, um, and it's recognized as such by the, the U.S. military. We are never going to get there if we're acting on our own. We're never going to get there if we don't find a way to talk across these lines and break them down. And you see some communities have been able to do that and they're getting to success. What we don't really have the opportunity now is the districts for electing people are set in stone. Four out of five are safe. So you're not, you may change the faces, but the ideology required to run for those specific seats in the legislature require an extreme uh, one size side or the other. And when that pendulum swings like that, we don't find ourselves at a table making smart decisions. We make decisions based on the next election. And to me, the only way out of that is to 
because I know these people personally. I, we spend time, we talk to one another. They are frustrated too on both sides of the aisle at the way the system currently is and that they are not free to go express moderate ideologies that they feel pushed into the extreme all the time. They don't, neither side likes it. So when I think about how we get out of this conundrum, Obviously, it's to elect not different people or different parties so much, or different parties so much as it is different people. People who come to the table with the attitude that we're here to solve problems and we're going to have to meet in the middle in order to get that done. And my way or the highway is just not going to be welcome uh, because we won't be able to get anything done. And we really, really need to start to figure out how to work together. And yet the system now seems to be geared to one extreme or the other. There is no safe space for moderates. Do you think just eliminating the primaries would, would make that different? Um, you know, I've been a moderate in a very Democratic seat for a long time, and I've never felt like my reelection was at stake because of a certain vote. I have always uh, found when I go, and these are groups of diehard senior citizen Democrats forever. They're never going to change. Um and when you sit and talk about what the other side wants, the first thing out of their mouth is a complaint that we're not listening to the other side. So here you have some folks from one party feeling so strongly, but also feeling equally strongly that it's stupid not to listen to the other side because we're not getting anything done. So I think people want it and are hoping like crazy for it. I don't think the optimism that um, I feel about that happening or coming to pass is uh, unique. I think that it is shared by a lot of folks that I work with, those who are supporting candidates that all inside would like the world to be a little bit different. And I think if we continue to emulate that, those of us that can and will, then you're going to see those that we will slowly change. But again, these changes just take time. They took a while to get the way they are today, and they're going to take a while to change. So you put in six years now in the legislature. Are you just about over it? <laughs> you know, my first year as a freshman was terrible. I, I'm i not kidding that I cried through so much of it. I would get not there in the building, but I would leave, and I was just heartsick at how the world was controlled by so few and how I sat and literally in the very back farthest row, and how was I going to make a difference? And I thought this was a colossal mistake. And uh, I honestly didn't think I'd, I'd uh, uh, get it through the second year of the first term. Um, but then I did. I managed to start to figure it out. And one of the things I thought to myself is I needed mentors. And, um, and I needed mentors on both sides of the aisle because I had to figure out a way to understand what they thought and why they thought. Not so I could change their mind, but so it could also help me figure out where the communication um, bridges were. And so that set me forth on an odyssey over the last six years in trying to figure that out on whatever issue I'm tackling, that there's a lot more hope and optimism. There's a lot more room to get stuff done if you're not, and I say this because it's the craziest thing, they just named this bill after me, but if you're not keen on having your name associated with something, it's amazing um, how many things that you can get done. And so I have found that, um, and, and instead of like the, it running down or me losing excitement over the last six years, it's what we could do in the next two. I really feel like um, there is a corner that we're rounding and an understanding of people and what they want, and certainly a change in president or, or not, who knows what that's going to bring, um, will cast a, its, its own light on the next two years. But I'm really excited about what's next and hoping to be part of it. 
I always like to ask people in the studio, what's your hidden talent, that secret little skill that you have that no one knows about, or your secret superpower? What is Kristen Jacobs' secret superpower? I think it's really boring, but I think it's being nice. I think it's important. There's nothing boring about being nice. <laughs> it takes a um, lot of effort. I think that people aren't don't give enough grace. And I think in time, no matter how upset you are at an issue, in time, when you look back at it, your perspective is so different. And when things are not going right, I think to myself, if this was five years from now, well, how would I view this? Like, stop long enough and think it through. Would you feel differently? Probably. So especially if it's somebody who's... Um, I simply don't get their point of view. I, I don't share it, and I think, how am I going to find common ground with this person? But the very seeking of it leads to friendship, and it leads to something that lasts, that transcends getting through arguments. It helps you have a, a foundation of trust. And once you have that trust, you can take something on. You have something to, now to celebrate, and you can take on the next thing because you start to build a foundation. And so to me... It's it's being willing to um, to give grace and to be patient and kind of understand at the end of the day, as far as I think anyway, I think most people are really, really inherently good and they're all trying to do the right thing. We just don't all agree on what that exactly is. After recording that interview, Representative Jacobs told her boyfriend, Steve Vancor, she was concerned that she'd been rambling a bit. If only we could all ramble like that, with care, concern, and kindness, the world would be a much better place. Your calendar of events begins with Senior U.S. District Judge Roger Vinson will hold a hearing at 10.30 in a lawsuit seeking to block a Walton County ordinance that has closed beaches because of the virus. A group of oceanfront property owners filed the suit, arguing that the ordinance is an unconstitutional taking of their property without compensation and violates privacy and due process rights. State Representative Nicholas Duran of Miami and Miami City Commissioner Ken Russell will provide updates on COVID-19 during an online event hosted by the LGBTQ advocacy group SAVE. That's happening at 1 o'clock. The Executive Committee of Florida Polytechnic Board of Trustees will hold a conference call at 4. And U.S. Representative Charlie Crist and the Chief Medical Officer of BayCare Health System will host a virtual town hall meeting about the coronavirus at 6.30 tonight. Finally, it's time for the new adventures of Florida Man, who is still on the run. Authorities in New Jersey have filed criminal charges accusing a Florida man of making a series of calls to Italian pizza restaurants, placing huge fake orders on behalf of police and other first responders. They lost thousands of dollars on multiple orders, and at least one of the shops had to shut down. Police say 34-year-old Sadiq Katani of Orlando committed more than a dozen instances of fraud in three different counties in New Jersey. Now, when the pizzeria has called him back, they say Katani screamed vulgar and racist abuse at employees, wishing the coronavirus on them and telling them, go back to Italy. Gatani, who is currently on probation for selling fake tickets to Walt Disney World, is still at large, so the Jersey boys are searching for the Florida man. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. <laughs>